1: I'm Benjamin Helden.
2: You forgot again, didn't you? No.
1: We are in the infamous, brand new Manchester My Protein Kitchen
2: on Mosley Street. And it is honestly incredible. It feels like a very safe space. This is the first time I've actually visited today, but I also have some banging food. Oh my God, if you come and get the protein flatbread with avocado and feta. Or the balls. All the meatballs. Yeah, no, it's a really Not, nice not just place. anyone's
1: balls. Yeah, the meatballs. that They tend to be the one. But on today's episode, we have. Back for episode number two, Mm -hmm. Mr. Fergus Crawley. He's fresh off the back of just attempting a very, very hybrid challenge. He's just attempted a 500 pound deadlift into a sub five minute mile run, which is a phenomenal.
2: Straight in, by the way. Phenomenal challenge. Yeah, straight in. So Fergus has done ultra, ultra Ironman. He's done endurance events. He's done powerlifting. He comes from a very hybrid background as a hybrid athlete and we go into this topic heavily today discussing is being a hybrid athlete a trend and what it really means to be hybrid
1: we also delve a lot into techniques fueling tips tricks chief creams all the things that if you're a heavier runner a more muscular runner or have a bit more body fat that will be a good thing to know for you to become more efficient and better at running
2: stay tuned and enjoy today's episode
1: We'll just start with the we start. Have you not projectile vomited yet then? Uh, not projectile. I have vomited. Have you? I call it
0: the reverse black Americano. Well, it was through, actually a, tri- it was a triple espresso, I think it was. That's and, even,
2: that's yeah, well, It wasn't, it
0: wasn't, wasn't my finest moment. It wasn't my worst, but it wasn't, it was up there. It was bad.
2: So you, here we
0: are.
2: Do you want to tell people what you have just done this morning?
0: Yeah, so I attempted a 500 pound deadlift and a mile under five minutes total. So the concept was to simply have a barbell at a track loaded up to 500 pounds, have it set up at the mile start point, lift the deadlift and run a mile all within a five minute time cap, kind of a bit of a progression of previous stuff. I've done 500 pound back squat and sub five minute mile on the same day separate. This was contained within the same effort, which was a bit more niche. This morning was 5.05, so I was five sec well, five seconds and one millisecond off where I wanted to be. That but was so close. So very painfully close. But painfully I'm I'm a little close. bit disappointed that it didn't go the way I'd hoped from a sort of content hitting the goal, talking about it point of view. But at the end of the day, there's no ne- like even the drive here, I don't feel ashamed or gutted in any way because I know, and the question I always ask myself with these events is, did I give it everything I had? And if the answer is yes, the outcome is what the outcome is. I don't think oh you eased off in lap three or you know what you can move with the deadlift faster or this, that, and the other. So five oh five was the output. The end. <laughs> what was the reason why did you do it? What was the reason behind it? Um What made you choose this? So this year's been chaos for me. And last year was very, very ultra endurance focused after the double brutal extreme triathlon in September last year. That was a 40 hour Effort over a weekend.
2: Just what was that for people? We know what it was, but for everyone who's listening,
1: so be like, well, a, a couple. You've done a couple of things that, since we last spoke on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, the, the yeah dad, so, uh, the, when, when You didn't that? just do the normal goggins. You do double goggins as well. Yes, yes. There's been plenty
0: of silly things, but when when did we, when did we last speak? It,
2: honestly, two I think
0: I think it was like yeah. two years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah.
2: So not, we have spoke since then. By the way, two Fergus just yeah, on the no, only two years. We only communicate via podcasting.
0: Yeah. So since then, I've done the Keltman Extreme Triathlon in June last year that rolled straight into the Double Brutal Extreme Triathlon, which was a 7.6 kilometer swim, a 373k bike with 6,000 meters of elevation gain and an 84.4k run with 2,100 meters of elevation gain, including Snowdon. So it was in Snowdonia and it was in a lap format as well. If it wasn't psychologically (laughs) torturous enough already... That took me, I think it was just under, or just over 40 hours, I can't quite remember, but it started at 7 a.m. on Saturday and I finished at around 10 p.m. on Sunday evening. And I slept for eight minutes, seven, eight minutes on Sunday morning at about 5.45 a.m. after I fell asleep momentarily on the bike downhill and the support car thought we should pull him in to make him sleep, the bastard. Because I was like, no, I'm fine, (laughs) I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, let me keep going. And they're like, no, no, no. And at this point I was like, yeah, I should probably should probably have a snooze.
1: Did you start hallucinating on that at all? Big time.
0: Yeah. Big time. Yeah, you yeah. Dick Dastardly from the Wacky Races. Ah, oh, lad. yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, I,
1: wouldn't yeah. I, it wouldn't
0: be my go-to, but yeah. I, I, do, I, I haven't watched it, it's, I'm not like a secret oh, mad Wacky fan. Races fan. That's why it was so... It was, it was quite hilarious because it was... Was that
1: the catch the page in? Catch the, was that another character from that?
0: Oh, you'd expect me to know, given that I saw Dick Dastardly <laughs> yeah. so many times on this event. But the hallucinations of it started about... Lap four, lap three, lap four. Well, no, they, they they went mental at lap three, lap four of the run. But there were a few, <clears throat> excuse me, there were a few during the bike um, overnight because I think the, the darkness makes it even more difficult. Because it's not like if you drop an acid tab in a movie and you start seeing dragons flying around in just out of thin air. It's more you reframe things that are there into different things. So like, if I was looking at, you sat there with a mic and a laptop in front of you, it might kind of blend into a shape that my brain would then register as something else. Mm -hmm. So I'd see a tree and a wall and then something behind the tree in the distance and I'd see Dick Dastardly. And I'd kind of be looking at it (laughs) like, I know it's not Dick Dastardly, but it very much looks like him to me right It's a tree, it's a tree and a wall. Right, got it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it it, it wasn't, your brain like reframes things that you're seeing rather, I assume it's just because it's fatigued and slow and it can't process things quick enough, but it's not like, yeah, you just see dragons charging towards your face. But if there was a big tree trunk in front of you, you might momentarily register that as a dragon or whatever it is. I did actually fall over at one point because in the trail section through the woods, there was sort of a bush to my right that um, my head torch kind of really lit up as I ran past it, and then just split second, I thought it was like a wolf jumping at me, and I kind of just slipped and
1: fell over. And Johnny turned around, like, "You're right." I was like, yeah, "I just <laughs> slipped." I, didn't I, get, I it. get that every night when Lucy sleeps, you're just <laughs> fearing massive spiders. And I
2: have night terrors. Do you? Yeah, bad dream ones though. But I, I play along with
1: them as well, which makes it more entertaining. That's actually uh, but no, but you're
2: not supposed to wait. My night terrors, honestly, I have them with spiders, and they are fucking everywhere, and they're all on me, and I pull the quill, and it's it's awful. And Ben's like. Spiders on you, which is actually I'm, I'm, really bad I, to I do. You're right. Yeah, and I'm like, where are they? Yeah, it's have you, have really you, have bad. You, have you seen the big one on yeah. the roof? Yeah, I've never, I've never hallucinated.
0: Well, it sounds like it'll never. be fun when you do, and yeah. I'm pretty sure you'll see several spiders <laughs> when you get to that point. Because I'm think, I think we can be quite confident that at some point that will yeah. probably happen. But yeah, I, I, like it's weird, but I also found that it was quite entertaining and funny because you were just so delirious, mm. and every like the the support car and everything hadn't slept, so they were losing their heads. And yeah, bottom line, got through that. So yeah, 465 kilometers total, um, very long weekend, but got to the end of it and it was eight laps of the run, starting up and down Snowden and then eight laps of the lake. Got over the finish line and it wasn't like today where I fully collapsed and was just beaten up beyond belief. It was kind of like, okay, you're done. I didn't then cramp up and fall over and like, right, that's max effort, that's done. It was more like, I think I could have done another lap. And if I could have done another one more lap, could I have done a second lap again? Could I have done a third? Could I have done a fourth? It was, I was happy it was over and I was working towards the end, but I'd got into a rhythm of laps that makes me a bit curious as to what lies on the other side of continuing there, which will probably happen at some point in the future. But that was the big thing in September. But the training to get to that point alongside pretty key moments in business growth last year and just sort of, 28 hours of training a week ahead of time meant that I was really quite worn out going into the start line, whereby sitting at the start line, well, I wasn't sitting, I was standing at the start line panicking before the water. I was just proud to have made it to that point, yeah. kind of like, wow, you've actually managed to get here after so many weekends of training that I just couldn't, like I'd see eight hours on the bike on Saturday, eight hours on your feet on Sunday, and then the same again the following weekend. Four it's weekends just, it's gone. just like, oh, no. And then going straight into full day. De- Mondays for me are always chaos. It's just a total write-off. All that devoted to programming and communications ahead of the week, which means normally 14-hour days at my desk. So the, the problem I had was Saturday Sundays were like work because it was eight, eight hours on a bike for me. Isn't as sort of therapeutic and escaping yeah. as it was when I was full-time employee, for example,
1: because it's now part of the job. Well, yeah. I imagine a lot of that as well. You're on the bike thinking about, I've got this to do on Monday as well. And you're just mulling yeah. over the tasks that you've got to do in front of you as, as well. So it doesn't yeah. become as therapeutic as people might think.
0: And funnily enough, I don't have many people around me that are happy to join me for eight hours on a bike ride on a Saturday, which meant that a lot of it was on my own. So getting to the start of the double was—it was unhealthy. It's not something I'm sort of—I mean, I'm proud that I got through it. It taught me some things about the businesses, about myself, that have made me better a day day to day in terms of managing myself and things. But it was—it was—it was an unhealthy period of time getting there. Getting through it was amazing, <clears throat> but on out of the back end, it was such a big peak, it was really well received online, lots of follow-ups on it, lots of really positive conversations off the back of it. People that signed up to the following year, people that signed up to the first triathlons, all that stuff was great. But it took me quite a while to get excited about training for anything again. And in January, uh, end of December, Erin, my partner, she went away to um, Australia and Southeast Asia for three, three three and a half months. So I was on my own with the dogs at the house in January. Winter, just sort of keeping things ticking over, keeping the businesses ticking over and sort of in and out of the house on my own. So training felt like a bit of a, I don't know, everything felt very always on. So that kind of exacerbated the loss of direction and identity I had with training. But I had a place on the Norseman, which is sort of the world's most infamous triathlon in Idafjord in Norway. And I was just punishing myself day in, day out for not being excited about wanting to train for the Norseman. So I was wanting to get up in the morning, excited to go and do my swim Mm -hmm. or excited to get on the turbo. And I'd just look at my bib shorts or look at the car keys and be like, fucking hell, I do not want to do this. And I'd do it, but I'd make my day so difficult to get through because I'd I'd like, I'd de-optimize the training but because I'm disciplined and- Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? Sorry. So it'd be things like, Rather than just getting up, having a coffee, getting in the car, and going, I'd sort of fuck about a little bit Grass-nate. beforehand, and just be like, but no, like I'd not like in not wanting to do the training session, I'd kind of just waste time putting off the training session, even though I knew if I got to eight pm and I hadn't done the training session, I'm I'm enough years deep now that I don't I don't just skip sessions because I don't want to do them if they have a purpose. I'm not I'm not sort of it's not um it, it's not like I rely on them, but if I know that. The programming is there for a reason, and you're just you're in a bitch is winning here, essentially. To sort of put a very American spin on things, then then I will do it. But if I'm if I know that I'm actually very fatigued, I know that actually the programming from the previous couple of days is spiked too much. You've had a bad night's sleep, whatever it is, or there's business priorities that take over. I'll reallocate and realign the training. But if it's just the case if I don't want to do it, I can't be asked. I'll do it because. That's what I do. But for a long time, for like two, three months, I really, really struggled to get excited about being a triathlete. And in my head, I was, after the double and the Kelpman the previous year, a triathlete who also lifted fairly heavy weights. But there was no part of me that was getting excited about being a triathlete because of the sort of post-event blues, depression, come down, whatever you want to call it, that came from the double. So before I went out to join Erin for... Uh, two, two weeks in Australia and then I did two weeks in the States going to see Mark Bell and stuff like that which was great I kind of wanted to prove to myself that I could still do hard stuff because I kind of didn't understand that I was the person that had done the double like, I almost couldn't recognize like I was lo- looking at videos of myself or reflecting on it and couldn't align that I was the person that did it it didn't feel like it was why did you do that though because even though you've had that, been to doing previous things I don't know this time around honestly I think maybe it's because Aaron wasn't around I think I kind of just I was, I was on my own a lot of the time and with the, we live about half an hour out of Edinburgh, got two dogs. I had an office in the city centre of Edinburgh at the time. I can take the dogs in, but if I take the dogs in, I can't train anywhere except to and from the house. So setting up my days meant that there was no wiggle room to see people or spend time with people other than just get the day to day done. So I probably isolated myself a bit more, which meant that the sort of inner narrative of the identity crisis I was going through was a bit worse because I didn't have the back and forth that I normally have with Erin in the house about that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was, it was weird. I, I like, I, I knew it was me. It, I didn't feel like a fraud or I didn't feel like i sort of, nah, it, it, that was all a dream, but I just kind of didn't believe in my, I didn't believe that I was still the per, I didn't believe that I was the same standard of person that achieved what I did with the double the previous year because I'd I don't know. I felt like I kind of lost a little bit of a grip of the structure and everything that kept me moving
1: forwards. What do you think? do you feel like you'd you'd slipped, or did you feel like you'd fluked the runs? No, nah, I feel I feel that I'd.
0: I feel that what I did wrong was I didn't listen to the reality, which was now is not the right time for you to be a triathlete. Mm-hmm. This is not what you want to be doing. Unfortunately. Being a hybrid athlete, whatever the fuck that means these days. Thanks, internet. <laughs> well, that's um, one more question. We've got for you. Yeah, we'll yeah, we'll, we'll get, get there. We'll get there. Um, means that I can be fluid in my goals. I can do whatever I want. So why punish myself for doing things that I don't want to be doing when I can just be doing things that I want mm-hmm. to be doing? So I went to Australia, just dicked around with training, went to the gym and made it up as I went along. What do you want to do today? That tended to be back squat singles and fast work on the treadmill. Just did what training I could when I could do it then got back on home soil and for another month or so, sort of wrestled with the idea of, do I want to do the Norseman? Is it the right time with a lot of business priorities and things that we're working on this year? And the answer ultimately was no. Mm. And only when I sort of decided, right, I'm going to let the race director know I am not doing this anymore because it's just not the right time for me, psychologically, professionally, or personally, as, as much as it pains me to say that, as soon as I sort of made that decision, I felt much better. And then I woke up the following day, what do you want to do? And it was do lateral raises and a string of vests for a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah. Go. Swole as fuck. Just
0: like act like a teenager again. Dry scoop, yeah. pre-workout, go to the gym, listen to some music, be in and out in an hour
1: and just crack on. It's funny when you do stuff like that though, because in other elements of your life as well, it often takes you back. So when I go and like watch it, I do like a Disney movie, whatever it is, it takes me back to being like a kid again where I don't have tax bills tasks whatever it is to do and it's the same with like the gym if you can take yourself back to a previous time in your life where you trained a certain way or did a certain thing it makes you forget about all the other shit that you have to do because you're just there to enjoy doing the thing 100 it's why it's why blokes love cars because you think back to the
0: hot wheels that you looked at when you were younger and you hear the and you're like i'm six years old again and then you forget about the bills and how much the car actually costs momentarily and then you get out of it and you think, oh, until you have to go and fuel it again. That was a terrible decision, but it's, yeah, it's the same mechanism where, what I did was sort of re-ignited an enjoyment with training day to day, which, which was all I needed to do to free myself up to decide what to do next. What are you enjoying right now? Lifting weights and short, sharp running. So I sort of focused on what this year's looked like, which in June was a 500 pound deadlift and 5K under 20 minutes total. So same mechanism as today. Lift the bar at the track. The timer starts, and then got twenty minutes and total did you, to do it. Did
2: you com- did you do that one?
0: Yeah, that was 1911. 19, I think I did that in. Why is oh that so God. difficult?
1: By the way, because people will look at that and go, "Well, I could deadlift that," and some people would look and go, "Well, I could run that." But why com- combined is it so difficult? So I think it's, it's
0: essentially five hundred pounds isn't a mad deadlift in powerlifting standards at any body weight. Really, what is that in kilos? Two two seven point five. So it's not it's not <laughs> like yeah you're not gonna be you're not gonna be placing in powerlifting competitions with it, but it's. It's more than most, right. most people in, yeah. in any gym setting can lift. And the sub 25K is sort of a threshold at which people are like thinking, wow, you're moving quickly at a recreational level. The problem with the internet is that people have their own boxes and their own biases, which mean that they see 500 pounds or they see sub 25K. You go, well, that's not actually quick. This is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Ignoring the fact that the 500 pounds and the body weight associated and the allocation of training stimulus that has to be devoted to that that eats into the running is the balance that's difficult. But the bottom line is, I enjoy the difficulty of trying to manage the fatigue and the stresses that go with different ends of the spectrum training and enjoy being able at any one point to sort of deadlift 220 kilos plus for reps and being able to know that I can run a sub 25K any day of the week, any day of the year, which is, it's come from a lot of, like a decade of doing the work, but it, it's, it's, paying attention to how to balance those things that makes balancing those things effectively difficult. And a lot of people get too lost in their own biases on lifting or running to be able to open themselves up to where they need to turn down certain dials and turn up other ones. Um, And that kind of planted the seed for this because this has been something that's kind of been on my mind for a few years. It's just a novelty, nobody cares. It's just a bit of fun and it's it's a bit of a step up from the squat and the five minute mile on the same day. Is a 4.45 mile as a PB appealing to me? Not even slightly. So this is kind of the only thing beyond the squat and the mile that was exciting to me. And ultimately training for a mile and training for heavy lifts isn't as time consuming as training for ultras. And this year, my focus has been, there's been huge, huge amounts of development with both businesses. We've just moved into a new site. We're building our own gym for our use. We're building a podcast studio. Um, We've just launched our own sort of in-person events for next year, we've just launched Harold, there's loads of stuff going on that I've had to, we've only got to that place because I've devoted the time that could be devoted to ultra training, Mm. to that stuff. And that's been fulfilling for me. And then we've come out the back end here. And I, along the way, I did a strongman competition as well up in Patark and Aberdeenshire in Scotland. I was 30 kilos lighter than the next heaviest guy there and had a blast doing it. It was really, really good fun. And then everything since then sort of been devoted to just, Base tra- k- keeping up skills and everything that I like to train for. So one swim a week, one turbo session a week. And then everything else has been full body lifting, hard effort running, tempo stuff and less work, sort of a loose structure that we always follow. And then that's put me in the position where th- this is this, this is a sort of culmination of that period. And now I'm excited and ready and feel like I'm in a position to reallocate the time to a big ultra and a big mm-hmm. thing over the winter. And I've taken the the time and the step back to do the things that needed done. And to reassess the way that I approach things, to be able to now go back into an ultra with peace of mind that it's not going to be unhealthy like it was for the double last year. That leads us into
2: just one quick question before we move on to that first question. With the the deadlift and the run, because I know when you did the sub twenty one, you put your shoes on. Did you still have? So did you did you do it in your runners the yeah, deadlift?
0: Yeah, so I did it in um, did it in my running shoes. Yeah, all that. I was I was training to do it in spikes because they're pretty thin, but. My, yeah, essentially, I just felt like my legs—1200 meters to to it to a mile—in my spikes, I just didn't feel like I could. Yeah. My it, it, the pain in my legs physiologically was my my gait isn't suited to spikes over a mile distance. Yeah, and yeah, I needed to find a middle ground where I could. So I was running in Ultra Escalantes, which is zero drop running shoes. So they're at least. They're not they're not angled down the way, but they're still cushioning, which mm-hmm. meant it was a bit wobbly and weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've been doing a lot of training in the in the gym yeah, yeah, in running shoes to to get used to it. Yeah, but I wouldn't have. I mean, I didn't have time to not change shoes. No, that's so what I, I mean. I was thinking <laughs> yeah, yeah. on
2: the other video, you did you ch- you slipped your shoes, and I thought surely not for this one because that yeah. you'd literally eat up so much the time. Mar- the
0: margin for error today was so so thin, and that was what was really making me nervous ahead of time. Um, and having the live on and having the I mean, I don't want to. It seemed like I've been complaining about the support. The support was amazing. But just that internal pressure and doubt that went with having more eyes on it, everything being documented in real time, just meant that my head was a bit more, I can't really think about anything until the deadlift's done. A bit more jittery, a little bit less strategic. Jamie was pacing me. Um, and we had a clear strategy on how we wanted that to unfold. So there was just a lot of moving parts yeah. today, but no margin for error. Almost in my last warm up on 207.5, I took my belt off and basically wrapped it around my legs as I was running. So I almost hit the deck in my last warm up. So it was good to know, right, make sure to throw your belt to the right so you don't do that yeah. on the top set, stuff like that. But I say again, it was good fun. I've worked very hard to get here. The track sessions have been very rewarding. They've served their purpose. I've enjoyed training for some. I mean, I ran a sub five minute mile today. So I ran a 459 but the deadlift and the changeover before starting running is what's eaten into the time.
1: Yeah, it's that disposition so, position, isn't it? So like, I don't want to sit
0: here disappointed about having ran a sub five minute mile at 94 kilos,
1: because I'm quite pleased with that. Yeah, That's what I'm saying about <laughs> people who look and go, that's deadlift, oh, I could deadlift that. Or people looking for a running background go, I could run that. It's, a, it's the impact that that deadlift has. Mm. It's it's like if you eat a plate, a plate of peas with a spoon, it's pretty easy. If you've if you tried it with a fork, it's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> That's the position that you put yourself in. I put full plates of peas in the bin before just because couldn't eat it with a fucking fork. That's what I'm talking about in terms of people taking a view of things and doing it with a different insight or a different lens on from doing something pre and a different modality that ties into being a hybrid athlete, which brings us on to...
2: Do need to discuss. As you said tell, before...
1: Tell us what it means. It is yeah. the concurrent
0: it is the current concurrent training of disciplines that do not inherently support one another whose disparate components are not inherently required for success at any one sport that is the word-for-word definition by the man that wrote the book any guesses the hybrid athlete in 2016 so that is the definition there is one what is your definition the same i I don't own the phrase i can't get keep the phrase for people essentially sports that do not complement one another training to progress in both of them simultaneously So running does not make you a better powerlifter. Powerlifting does not make you a better runner. But if you train to progress in both running and powerlifting separately, then that is hybrid training. Mm -hmm. Hyrox is not hybrid.
2: This episode is how, do you know what? If you don't like listening to noise, mute. This episode is kindly sponsored by My Protein as we are sat in the brand new My Protein kitchen, and if you're in Manchester, you need to check it out. It's unbelievable. Yeah,
1: this is the new branded way that we have in front of us, the Impact Way. I am what is commonly referred to as a basic bitch, which basically just means <laughs> basic I like the bitch. fundamentals, of like a vanilla whey protein because it can add yeah. it to pretty much anything: oats, yogurts. Lucy and it, it goes down very smoothly. One of also a new favorite is,
2: but also I'm taking 20 of these to base camp with me because they are that delicious.
1: Um, not everyone's watching, so what are you talking about?
2: Sorry, the crispy laid toasted marshmallow bar, 16 grams of protein, really delicious, really tasty, really easy to have as a snack. And we have a discount code for you.
1: Well, lastly, I was going to say, sorry, if you have not tried the innovative product, which is clear way, yeah. you don't like milkshakes you think they taste disgusting or they don't agree with your stomach then clear away is literally like a juice in a shaker which you can easily get over 20 grams of protein in with every single serving
2: and they also have it in vegan just for our vegan listeners but we do have a discount code for my protein and it is not so fit so make sure you was that right cal not so fit that's the one make sure you shop the discount the discount will be up to 40 percent across my protein it is always amazing so head there and back to the episode
0: that's going to ruffle some feathers. Hello, everyone. Same with CrossFit, though, isn't it? CrossFit is a discipline. High Rocks is a discipline. If you're doing High Rocks you're training and also them running marathons, that's hybrid. But hybrid racing, Spartan racing, OCR racing, etc., and this weird egoed-up American thing going on where the High Rocks gang are trying to gatekeep the phrase and make it seem like anyone that isn't sort of really buying into that isn't worthy is just doing what essentially hybrid training was designed to not do, which is raise the barrier to entry to a point that puts people off. Hybrid training is a way for people to enjoy and explore new disciplines without worrying about the fact that they can't make progress. 99.9% of people aren't training to be a specialist in any one discipline at a professional level. Therefore, most people, in my opinion, will benefit from hybrid training as a Mm. discipline because in setting the commitment towards becoming a better powerlifter and becoming a better runner separately, each sport gives you different valuable lessons that you can then apply to different things and different outputs. Hyrox is the threshold test. CrossFit is very skillful, but also mostly threshold. The word endurance and CrossFit is, is in particularly conflated. And you train it all together. Yeah, and you train it all together. And I don't, want to, I don't want in any way to seem like I'm bashing those things. They are single disciplines where there are phenomenal, phenomenal athletes that if they started doing separate training, individual disciplines would be very good at it. But the definition itself was proposed, coined, and created by Alex Viada. and it doesn't simply mean just doing different things. But I, I don't have any right to gatekeep the phrase. I'm never going to pretend to have any right to gatekeep the phrase. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, which is choosing separate disciplines to to tick over. I think the other the other myth that's sort of creeping in is seasonal training. Doing a summer of triathlon training and then doing a winter of strength training is not hybrid. That's just yeah. Faith. Because you're not doing both that's at the just, same that's time. That's just phasic seasonal training, yeah. the, the, the things that I often see online, I've actually got a list. I've actually got a list. Get your list I'll out. Piss you, piss off Get your, your list. Actual, I mean, I, it's more, it I, I, I want to be-
2: interesting topic.
0: I want to be balanced on this because again, there's so many people online that are really trying to own this or sort of claim X, Y, Z. Like you, you the there's things I've seen where it's like trying to be the best hybrid in the, that's not a thing that can exist. There's no governing body. There's no competition. And a lot of the competitions that are claiming to be hybrid tests, etc are just a blend of disciplines rolled into one and running with weight is not, it's just running with weight. it's, It's essentially, it's a difficult nuance and I don't want to seem, I don't want to seem in any way reductive of any of these things individually, but it has become a marketing term that pisses people off that
1: don't understand what yeah, it we've means. We've got to have a clear definition or something. Otherwise, people can just you could. What, what would be the point in definitions of anything if we could just change them to suit people's narrative?
0: Yeah. But what annoys me the most is 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 I I I love sport. Watching the Rugby World Cup, watching yeah. just stuff like that, it just makes me think. Fucking hell, I love this. This is why I am so so pleased that I am privileged enough to be able to try and adapt mm-hmm. to new things at all times. And now there's corners of the internet where hybrid training is becoming cliquey, which is exactly what it was designed. It's
2: becoming trendy.
0: Yeah, it's exactly what it was designed to avoid, which is raising the barrier to entry to people that want to try new things. And that's what, for for overall health, for overall development, I want more people to try things that scare them. And I don't want anything that I do to be a sort of, woo, look at me, look at this, you're all pussies, like some people online are doing. I want it to be, look, actually, by working hard and committing to something, you can show tangible progress in your own day-to-day life that can have value that spills over into other aspects of your life. That's brilliant. You're competing only against yourself because nobody actually gives a fuck. Mm -hmm. There's no governing body that oversees any of this, so therefore you cannot define the best. And pointless dick measuring online is not actually going to help people that are a little bit tentative about maybe trying new things to think, you know what, that's definitely something I want to get involved in. Because it might just mean that they think, oh, yeah, I'm a powerlifter, I couldn't run. I'm a runner, but I want to get a bit bigger so I can fill out
1: t-shirts. But no, I don't want to get slower. But that's the beauty of the scale as well, because you can scale up your different modalities and how much training you're giving to them at any given time, depending on what your goal is that you've illustrated over the past year or two, depending on whether it's more endurance-based, whether it's more strength-based, whether it's more aesthetics based You can can choose where to, to turn that volume up whenever you wish to do it
2: also in general, it's probably one of the healthiest places you can be because if you can run a marathon, your lung health, your heart health, but then if you can go and lift weights, your joint health, your muscles, your strong, like that is healthy. That is such a healthy and fit place to be. And by doing hybrid, you know you're not gonna be the best ultra runner or marathon runner. And you know you're not gonna be the best power lifter or whatever it is.
1: Apart from maybe me. I'm yeah, except
2: you. Um, but I think it's such a wonderful space to train. Like I, I found that anyway, I'm like, it's actually so enjoyable. Yeah. Like go out on a run or I'll go and hit a weight session or swim. I think it's
0: or good for comparison. Or- and that's, what, that's what training should be. What do you mean?
1: So like, so the YouTube video I shot at the weekend it was all based on people comparing themselves to other people. I've got it. And w- with when you use a different metric stick, because the metric stick is... Way bigger or way more varied in the hybrid world you're not just comparing like mm. my time to this time or my physique to this physique yeah, you've got one. you've got a different metric to use and just saying to people or oh, you shouldn't compare or you it's like it's like saying, oh just be confident or just be yourself it's fucking useless where you have a different metric to measure against other things it doesn't make what other people value your only value you can have your own values of what you want to measure against
2: yeah
0: 100 percent 100 percent and I say again. My my big learning over the years from training different disciplines is the death of the ego that has made me a better person. It's made me a more effective athlete. It's made me achieve more in my personal, professional and athletic life. And I think a lot of the... Some corners of the internet's narrative around this is actually not allowing other people that just simply want to develop because most people that engage with fitness content on the internet are not aspiring to be professional athletes. They are people that simply want to do better on a day-to-day basis. Which and is the vast majority. I, and I think low skill dominant movements trained separately so that you can provide tangible progress in both and really develop yourself across energy systems is a great way to be a well-rounded individual and person. And a lot of the sort of competitive side of things are just, it's all threshold. Yeah. And a lot of the training for it tends to be approached in not necessarily the wrong way, but there is a real dominant effort on strength endurance and threshold training. Whereas a lot of people actually benefit from six months, eight months of just doing zone two work to be able to build an yeah. aerobic base. And that might have less of an impact on the strength that they've worked yeah. six years to hold on to. and means that they can build the two better concurrently rather than just immediately chucking in a whole load of additional intensity and compromising on what they've worked years and years to achieve. Okay, so, I've got tangent I want to go off on after you. Yeah. So... For reference, the definition is the concurrent training of different athletic disciplines that do not necessarily support one another and whose disparate components are not essential to success at any one sport. Alex Viarda... I think
2: that nails it.
0: Yeah, I mean, he that, he created it. Yeah, so, <laughs> but you <laughs> but can't the, but, argue but, but, with but, but, that. But the problem is he, he, doesn't, he has the right to gatekeep it and he chooses not to because mm-hmm. it's a concept that's out there in the world. Alex is one of the most intelligent people on the planet, I'll go out and say. And yeah, Johnny and I know him well. He's a great guy but he hasn't fought back hard enough on some of the voices online trying to redefine what essentially he conceptualized. And again, no gatekeeping, but there is a definition, there is a starting point, and I feel like the progress and development of the narrative that can help more people achieve more from trying new things is being reduced as a result of the attempt to redefine it for ultimately the sake of marketing that's the world that we live in Mm -hmm. it's i mean i use it in thumbnails i have done since 2019 but that's because i've always viewed it as that definition it's now becoming a little bit more murky but i'm gonna do and i'm gonna make an attempt to do a deliberated breakdown of mine and johnny's opinion on the history of the term where it sits now where we see ourselves where we see other people and ultimately really on the fact that these are just our opinions Yeah, yeah We can't gatekeep it, but the things that I often see online on my list here, these are all framed as quotes. So number one is, athletes have been lifting weights and running for years. That's often a comment, which is true. But strength and conditioning for a sport is not necessarily hybrid training because you are doing the strength and conditioning for the sake of improving your output in the Schools individual percent. sport yeah. so if you're an nfl athlete that's doing back squats to become a better nfl athlete you are an nfl athlete if you were also competing in powerlifting competitions a separate sport that would be hybrid training
2: but that was like when i swam we did s and c yeah and it was so specific to swimming like yeah i could i could, do like 30 pull ups. Yeah, strong back, I was backstroke. Like they were, it was so sport specific. So SNC is sport specific to your sport.
0: 100%. And that, I agree 100%, I
2: agree with and that. And it,
0: it doesn't mean that therefore NFL athletes or swimmers aren't strong. But,
2: but they it, are it, as a swimmer. It, it, it,
0: <laughs> but it, it just means that it is the committed approach to separate disciplines and progress in them concurrently that defines the term within those parameters. And again, being an individual athlete is no worse off than being a hybrid athlete. I want everybody to do what is best for them. That is the overarching message here. Secondly, Hirox slash OCR is the ultimate hybrid test. Kind of already covered that one, but Hirox or OCR are individual sports in and of themselves. If you were competing in Hirox or OCR and also- What's OCR? Uh, obstacle course racing. Ah. Because they they blend, It's again, it's a blend of disciplines into one discipline, one sport, one actual Metric like you can attach, do this within an hour and you are the winner, mm-hmm. do it in an hour and 10 minutes and you'll come second. But if you were also competing in, again, let's just say competing in powerlifting competitions separately, but whilst running is a huge part of training for high rocks, a lot of the time you're training to run compromised, you're training to, you're, the running is, in training is to make you better at high rocks, mm. not individually to make you better at running and I'm, again, we're splitting hairs somewhat here, but high, I think hybrid racing, is different to hybrid training mm-hmm. and even saying that out loud I'm kind of rolling my eyes at myself because it seems like pointlessly nuanced discussions to be having but I do think the I do think some of the discussions online that are trying to sort of add testing or a level of measurability or a league table to certain things are not necessarily actually holding themselves as accountable to the original definition as they perhaps should Second one. So what just working out and running again, I view working out as training without a purpose in terms of the definition and so what nobody really cares about anything on the internet anyway. So valid question, but just working out and running that what's wrong with that. That's great. That Mm -hmm. sounds fantastic. But also if we're working out is that often comes from people with an endurance bias because they don't see lifting as an actual sport in and of itself in the same way that lifters just see running as just walking at a faster pace mm. why, why would you why would you run somewhere just walk there or get a taxi like yeah good one mate we've all heard stuff like that and essentially if you're working out for a purpose i.e you're going to do an olympic weightlifting competition and you're also running because you've got a 5k event coming up hybrid training by definition
1: yeah i think like that will probably apply to most people though. most people just go in for a lift because they want to enjoy being swole look better naked build the confidence have a better physique and then they'll they'll run because they want to explore on a weekend and go and look around other places so they're just lifting and running by default it improves and quality Before people land. and i think mm. you can get so granular into those other things whereas most people will just enjoy doing those two modalities and improving them separately and the best it, way
0: to train for them to get better at them is to train them separately yeah. not to blend them like next one crossfit enters the chat quote unquote yes very very skillful very very high performance athletes some of the best athletes in the world absolute savages but they don't tend to focus on one end of the spectrum of, of training, which is aerobic capacity over a significant period of time. Everything with, I mean, a lot of it is to to make it marketable and good for viewers. So threshold work, like endurance is 20 minutes, endurance is 40 minutes. Yeah, they did the trail run at the ranch and stuff like that. And it was really good performances. But I'm going to go out and say CrossFit intentionally shortened the 5k distance at the games to make the athletes seem better at running than they were to try and hide the fact that CrossFit inherently lacks running ability, but would like to be presented as the most efficient all-round athletes in the world. But I think the whole thing's undermined by the fact that the 5K, the 5K at the World Championships of CrossFit was 4.56K which just goes to say a lot. Of, I mean, that that's that's not speculating. That's been all GPS I've heard, data. I've heard a lot. Of As post in it was supposed
2: to, to be 5K, it was, but uh, uh, they did. Slight nuance. 4.5. Slight
0: nuance. I need to, I need to. I'm feeling very controversial here. I'm just, uh, I'm just, I should run, I should fail five minute miles a more often, I think. But um, yeah, basically 4.56K. <laughs> it was called, it wasn't called 5KM. It was called 5K.
2: Yeah, but that's still 5K. I, so 4.56K.
0: I 4,560 4, meters is 5,000 yards. Ha, huh. so, got you. But what is that? That is intentionally misleading people on yeah, what it's is 5K it. Yeah, 5K 5K, exactly. 5 kilometers. So that's either intentionally misleading or mm. intentionally fudging the data to make the running element of CrossFit seem better than it is, probably to mitigate a bit of the pushback that's coming from people that are strong at one end and also quite quick at running. But in my mind, we shouldn't be expecting top-level CrossFitters to be running as fast as runners. That's the point. Mm-hmm. That doesn't undermine them as athletes. That just proves that they are very well-rounded across lots of different things. And that, 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 that wound me up a little bit because it just undermines the whole, the whole essence of, well, honesty for one, but two, around the actual where, where CrossFit is limited and where hybrid training yeah. might not be.
1: I've I've got a lot of friends who do CrossFit who've gone into doing either high rocks or doing other things and struggle with the running element, even though they're like unbelievably fit. We, we've we even had some people down at like Run Club and some of the people who've done like the laps when we're doing interval, the better after doing 50 air squats. I'm like, just do 50 air squats every time before you go and do a 400 meter run because you're better, you're better yeah. at doing it because you run well under a lot, lot of fatigue, not just straight out, out running. And I suppose, a lot a lot of them may hold a lot more muscle a lot more tissue than others. and this kind of brings me into the next sort of tangent that i want to go on to because i know you spoke about this before and it's i would class myself as a as a heavier runner mm-hmm. and i often hear people say well i'm not a runner or I'm not built for running what advice would you give to someone who's maybe carrying more weight or more tissue when it comes to
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSC. Two in one shorts for one. Stop the chafing. Stop the chafing. That's the big one. Yeah, I've and, got a Thunderfizer. That's a big one for me. Yeah, yeah. Ch- two in one shorts and chamois cream, which is cycling focused stuff. Not Vaseline, no. Yeah. Nah, Vaseline's bad for your clothes. I love it? that stuff. Chamois cream is king. Chamois cream is king. Tour de France stuff. Um, and zone two training, obviously, here we go. Couldn't, couldn't talk, go through the podcast without mentioning zone two, could we? Essentially people often, when getting into running, especially at heavy body weight, run too quickly because they assume they're easy. But if you frame easy within the context of what you've done previously, especially if you're coming from a rugby, CrossFit, high rocks, high performing sport background, you'll be used to doing a lot of work at threshold. Mm. So easy will just be slightly lower than threshold, which might be in the right parameters, but for anyone that might be completely new to running that doesn't have a heart rate monitor of some sort, if if you can afford one, then it'd be a great investment to make and don't get an Apple watch. It will run out of utility after a certain period of time, a Garmin or a Cinto or something would be yeah, better. Garmin. But we've also operated for a lot of years mean? without these devices, so you can still go and run the fucking so yeah, you can. On. The talk test, essentially, if you run at a pace where you can string about 15 words at a time together, great. If you can't, you're running too fast. Nasal breathing, is a good form of throttle control as well. If you can only breathe through your nose, then you're probably moving aerobically. If you actually can't, you're probably moving too quickly. In co- case, I'm struggling I'm here just breathing now.
1: I've got nostrils like a budgie's bum all night. just, they don't, yeah. the air intake is absolute minimal. Talk test is probably the one. If you were in the position a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there we go. That's deep.
2: The nose yeah. breathing is hard though. I've done a lot of runs where I've like taped. Right. In prep for like the marathon, the ultra, and it does... Breathing just through your nose is definitely hard.
0: Yeah, and if, if it forces you to it forces you to focus as well, yeah, which which is I mean, and, and the main it's one is panic. D- don't don't be. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's tough. hard. It's um don't don't neg- don't essentially discount running skillfulness because mm. it is a skill. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't turn up to a teppanyaki and start trying to do the onion in the no and the pocket egg trick. in the hat that is a skill that somebody has worked many years to be able to wow you with in the same way that you don't just know how to run efficiently because you lift weights yeah. or because you ran on a rugby pitch. There is There are different movement patterns to apply to different things. And that is great because there is opportunity to learn, do better, improve, and be a student. But if you neglect to realize that and just assume that you are going to be efficient at all things from the word go because you're proficient at something else, then... You could find yourself causing yourself injury putting yourself in um, you might not be able to understand your outputs and training to be able to understand what your input should be because you're doing too much volume or you're hurting your joints or things like that so commit the time to trying to move efficiently so there's things you can do like skipping drills there's gate drills there's you can have gate analysis you can look at yourself running on a treadmill and one of the biggest mistakes heavier runners often make Especially in hypercushion shoes. And one of the biggest Let's go calls- to the next question, the shoes. Yeah, yeah. So one of the biggest one of the biggest issues is that hypercushion shoes inherently aren't bad. There's corners of the internet that will tell you there are that they are. Um, but what overcushion shoes can do, whilst providing support, can essentially disguise poor gait. Cause you can throw your foot out in front mm-hmm. of you and effectively overstride. So if your heel is landing in front of the line of your knees and hips, sorry, of your hips and shoulders the impact is going directly up, the transient impact of the landing is going directly up. And if that is out with the line of your body, all of that impact is going into your knee, which is where people can often start running and have issues with their shins, with their knees, because they're just just chucking the leg out in front of them rather than sort of tucking it beneath them a little bit. So one of the drills we use with athletes, if they are sort of reporting on things like that, is trying to get them to run barefoot on grass or run on concrete or on a track or something in a pair of barefoot shoes, because it'd be a bit weird barefoot to do that. What would be an example, sorry, of an overcushioned shoe or a cushion shoe, just for people most listening? Most of the most popular running shoes. Um, anything that, yeah, anything that is designed to absorb impact. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing, but it, it, they can really they can enable you to run faster and more efficiently from a performance point of view when you're running in them correctly. But I mean things like things like Hokers, like the go-to. Like if you're heavier, everybody immediately thinks I need to get the most cushioned shoe possible to take the impact. But the more cushioned it is, the less feedback you'll be getting from the impact back to your body, other than the cumulative repetitions of striding over and over again that then can sort of cause issues. So using a pair of barefoot shoes or using barefoot strides or something like that, there's nowhere to hide. Because if you're slamming your heel into the floor in front of you and all of that impact's going upwards, you'll think, ah, fuck my knee. And you can't repeat that. So it'll force you to to address your gait, look at it and sort of design your gait to move efficiently
1: and you can build volume from there. Yeah. A lot of people get worried about pain, don't they? Whereas pain is more as an indicator that you're probably doing something not right. You need to change something, whether it be with running or lifting. So it's often quite a good thing if you're getting pain as a as a point of feedback for whatever you're doing wrong. Yeah, yeah. Pain and fatigue or hard work are not the same. And I think there's, there's, there's
0: inherently a bit of, I don't know, hypochondriacism. Don't know what there would be there, but th- that's essentially a concern whereby people start to feel fatigued and think they must be doing something wrong. But I think that that's why low-intensity, skill-dominant movement for anything that's new. I mean, if you go to a PT at the gym and you've never lifted weights before, you you would be foolish to expect that you're just going to unrack a bench press and know what you're doing. Mm. In the same way that if you haven't ran recreationally for many years, you don't just lace up a pair of hyper-cushion shoes that the guy at the ASIC store told you to stick on because you're heavy and just start flying about the place because there are movement patterns that are... I mean, look, look at the way Kipchoge runs versus... I run, I run like shit compared to Kipchoge. I have tiny little strides because I'm not built quite the same. But like side by side, his gait is more efficient than mine, and that's because he has devoted the time to the skill over the years. And therefore, it's kind of the old: this is Phil Heath's diet and training methodology in the magazine, and everyone's like, right, I'm going to do Phil Heath's diet and training methodology. Well, you're not, you're not 25 years deep like Phil Heath is. <laughs> so it's 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 a case of looking at the individual context: where are you weak? Where are you strong? Aligning your programming to complement your strengths, but to allocate the time needed to improve your weaknesses. And it's not, it's not, I'm not not criticizing anyone for assuming like it's just, it's just respecting the disciplines. Mm. It's it's respecting that running is running is a skill. Yes, it's just a form of moving as a human being that's pretty common, but it is something that there is an infinite ceiling of skillfulness that comes with running in the same way that if you look at a powerlifter bench versus a recreational gym goer, the powerlifter will probably bench more efficiently and it will look better in terms of biomechanics because that's one of the points that they focus on most from a skill point of view but because it's a simple movement it's easy to discount the skillfulness of these movements especially with running so two in one shorts chamois cream making sure you're not overstriding, and zone two training i'd say yeah, the big so, ones so
1: that's what i'm going to say about volume because it, it's a it's a non-negotiable that like if you're heavy you're going to be putting more impact through the body through the joints through everything that you're doing like if you're running in comparison to kipchoge you're putting a lot more impact through those joints because you're carrying a lot more weight what would but
2: also in general when i first started running i was as in when i would just been lifting i was really robotic as in i felt like this really uncomfortable and now i've been doing it for like two years the difference is wild like how i used to run i'm not i'm not a perfect runner godly i am still built and i do i hold myself differently when i run like my biceps ache when i run because you're holding your arms up and yeah we'll never be the Kipchogis, but over the years, you can learn to run much more efficiently as you lift. At the start, it is un- it is uncomfortable. If you're lifting and you go into running, you're like, oh, my God, this feels bizarre. Just as if a marathon runner went into the gym with bench press, and they'd be like, oh, my God, like yeah. this feels so weird. I think that's okay to recognize that it feels a bit uncomfortable, but if you push through it, you actually will get better.
0: That's the fun part, because it's yeah. the, the whole reason you're trying something new is to get better at yeah. it and to learn. So I think it's... Again, it, it comes back to the more you can put your ego to the side and, and accept that you're trying something new, the more fun you can have with it. Because it means that every week can be a PB. Mm. And that's great. We love PBs. Mm. And when you've been lifting for 10 years, it's quite hard to get them. Yeah. I didn't get one today. My best ever miles, around 459. And you'll train all year, though, just to put an extra kilo it, or two on the bench. Yeah, I, I, I will never lift as heavy as I did when I was a power lifter. And I'm completely at peace with that mm. because I'm no longer out of breath going up a flight of stairs. Mm. So swing some
1: roundabouts. Um, <laughs> fueling for runs different if you're a heavy runner uh
0: yeah so sodium intake is a big one essentially you'll probably require more sodium because your sweat rate will be a bit higher there's two components to sweat composition and volume and short of getting a sweat test which you can do at lots of places around the uk you don't need to burst yourself on a treadmill or anything you can just it's, it's quite easy those can tell you your sweat rate and composition and prescribe products and volumes accordingly but if you don't want to do that and you're sort of newer to things. If you know that you're a person that's very sweaty in sort of whatever condition, then you can assume your volume is high. May. There we go.
2: I (laughs) literally always look like I've jumped in a pool. It's unbelievable.
0: So how salty are your clothes after you're running?
2: Not actually that bad. After like a race, it's unbelievable how salty, but I do take salts every day because of that reason.
0: Okay. So if you were very like caked in salt.
2: No, I'm not.
0: Whilst also sweating profusely, you could assume that you are very high volume, very high composition, but logically you're high volume, moderate composition, which means that for the most part, you should be able to get away with products that are about 500 milligrams of sodium per hour and be able to factor that in. But all these things are trial and error. Whereas if you're not a very sweaty person, but what you do sweat is hyper concentrated, then you might need a slightly higher sodium content in your racing, fueling, whatever it might be. I need about 600 milligrams per hour in about 750 milliliters of fluid to be able to sort of keep on top of salts because I don't sweat very much, but tri-suits are always the giveaway. I am caked. It's like I've been swimming For the in the Himalayan, sea. It's, yeah. it's just, just wild. Um, like today, my hat was a bit, a bit salty from five minutes of running. So there's a high composition oh, wow. that comes out so essentially it's important to look at the, if you've got a sachet of like, let's use the hydrate sachets, my protein is an example. There are 189 milligrams of sodium each. If you were using them intra workout and you knew that you were very, you were a very salty sweater, then you'd want to make sure that you were having two of them in mm. a bottle. If you were also a very high volume sweater, you'd probably want to make sure you were having a liter of water rather than 500 milliliters. And it's, it's trial and error and learning how you feel, learning how your performance is and adjusting week by week, rather than just assuming that the product off the shelf is gonna be hyper-specific to you. As well as that, your heat expenditure will be higher. So layering and things like that are probably worth considering. If it's be bold, start cold, is the, the Royal Marines phrase that is worth sticking by. If If you're starting a run cold, most of the time you'll heat up as you go and you don't wanna be caught out 30 minutes into an hour run with a layer on that you can't dump anywhere. Um, but also it means that you're, that could increase sweat rate, could increase salt rate. So mm-hmm. that could get things wrong. And the carbohydrate intake you need will be a bit higher because you've obviously got more glycogen to, to keep keep moving. And that means that the sort of general prescription of about 60 grams of carbs per hour for Ironman athletes, marathon athletes, something like that might be closer to 75, 80. There's research that indicates 100 i think it was i can't remember where it came out of but 120 120 grams of carbs per hour actually led to a fairly tangible increase in sustained performance but 120 grams of carbs an hour in a race is very impractical and difficult yes, to manage it's so yeah, that's it, a it, lot. it's it's a balance of what what is practical what works what can you consume what can your stomach tolerate but the only way you can get to those answers is through trial and error but generally speaking whatever body weight you are you shouldn't re- as long as you're hydrated and fueled Sort of from the night before or the morning, you shouldn't need to fuel up to 90 minutes Mm. in a training session. Generally speaking, beyond that, you want to make sure that you're eating half an hour, hour, 90 minutes upwards so that you've got, you're not bonking. Because all it takes is one bonk and you'll never want to bonk again.
2: I bonked. Have you bonked since? Well, it was only last week.
0: Okay. Well, that's it. Never going to happen
2: again. (laughs) But I thought, honestly, yeah, I did
1: going to say we didn't bonk last night. I do you were bonking. No, no.
2: Uh, yeah, I am very early on in the race, which was like shock, which oh, was dear. shock. 28K. I still did really well, but yeah, I Was there a noticeable, depleted.
0: in data, did you see a noticeable spike in heart rate and drop off in pacing at, things? Yeah, yeah.
2: at 28. Oh, it's like unbelievable.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it so. was
2: great. And it's also, I'm glad it happened because it was my first race marathon. I'm like, I'm so glad that happened because for the next one I've got next month, I've learned so much yeah, already. Yeah, 100%. Like, I think that's the best thing to do. You literally, oh, thank you. You learn so much from when things are harder in a race, but when, when your legs completely give out, I, there's, not, there's nothing quite like it. No, no, no. It, it's, it's unbelievable. Not,
0: it, that's why I asked about the data, because it's not just physiological, It's like, no, it's not heart rate, just everything, yeah. everything. Your body's just like, fuck this. And
2: I was like, gel, gel. oh yeah, my yeah, God. So yeah, I was yeah. like, what's happening? <laughs> but, but,
0: but again, a lot of people might think that's just, like I, I've got a friend who ran his first marathon um, Sort of before we properly properly knew each other, and he was like crippled on the side of the road with cramp, yeah. like properly just sidelined. Crammed. Because I asked him, I was like, "Oh, we, like what salt products are we having?" He said, like, "What do you mean?" I was like, "What, what, what do you mean? What do you mean?" Mm. Um And he just had no idea that you had to consume any sodium during a race. And a woman gave him a salt tablet that was like an EpiPen to the eyeball, and he got up and managed to finish it. And the video of him, the video of him crossing, is like. Imagine, imagine, sort of tiptoeing like a space invader <laughs> in the attic. That's kind of how he crossed the finish line because he was cramping yeah. so much. But yeah, he's a sweaty, sweaty bloke, which means that he just rinsed himself of all sodium. And then, if he's going to do another marathon, he now knows what to do better. And again, that comes back to the earlier discussion: is the amount of lessons and value that come from simply doing new things don't just align themselves with the sport itself. Mm. And you doing a first performance-based marathon will carry over into when you do an Ironman in the future, when you do your next 10K, half, et cetera, all that stuff. And had you been cliquey and arrogant and narrow-minded in your training to get to that point and thought that you knew it all and that your way was the only right way to do things, you probably wouldn't have learned that lesson. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think hybrid training broadens the access for people to give new things a go, learn new lessons develop new skills without having to fall into the trap of comparing themselves or always knowing humble. at what place they There's came. There's no one to compare
2: to because you're so individual as a hybrid athlete. And that's the beauty of it. Yeah. I think it's so wonderful that you actually can't compare to anyone yeah. because your body weight's different. You look different, the muscle, like everything's so different. And I think that's the beauty of it because it, it means so many people can do it and try it and start it. And then I think when you do start that approach, you love it. Yeah, it's, we did it it's always humbling years, because years, you're always a beginner ago.
1: starting something when I started fighting it was it was new and got the shit kicked out of me it was humbling again and it carried that across into other things oh, can you ever be too heavy to run
2: your brain needs support and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine and caffeine Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus stay chill or get energised Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Like overweight heavy?
0: No, but it depends on how we're categorizing running distance, et cetera, et cetera. I, I, there could be a weight where it might be more efficient and more sensible to build up walking volume. Yeah, 100%. I don't know what that weight is. That will depend on leverages, mechanics. If you're six foot six with femurs up to your nipples, that'll be different to if you're five foot three with really short legs in terms of mechanics. So in, again, as with all things, individual, well, individuality comes into play more than a gen, generic answer. And yeah, I, th- I think the, the societal
1: assumption is always i want to lose weight therefore i should start running that's the, always the big one that's the one that gets me and it's it's running, that's why i always say build is not the best way for people to lose weight because the repeatability and sustainability of it long term for someone who's heavy and doesn't enjoy it it's just yeah it's really but, really but you difficult. can you can build up your
0: walking volume to be able to yeah. run and then you might find out that you love running mm-hmm. and then you've <clears throat> you've you've discovered that you've discovered that there is a method of exercise that you enjoy and is fulfilling for you that also might help with your caloric expenditure over the course of a week to help you to continue to lose weight but yeah i'm i'm firmly against exercise in and of itself as a as a as a body composition metric i'm very performance goal oriented and i'd be i'd be sort of speaking outside of my lane talking at sort of certain levels of body weight bringing it all the way down in terms of what the best pathway to do would be um without the individual context but yeah generally speaking i think over a certain body weight the the aspiration should be to be able to run efficiently, whatever that looks like, at weight, the aspiration mm-hmm. should be to, whatever it takes to run efficiently. If that means that you spend the first six months of that on a exercise bike, then that's what's required to be able to run efficiently at the back yeah. end. And everybody's timeline is different and everybody's mechanics are different. So the boring answer is it depends.
1: Yeah, well, that's what I mean with scale as well. You can start walking then you can walk run and you can run. It's, it's uh, completely dependent just to, But people who listen to this one may well be run at the moment just to to tie in the podcast. Tell me why or convince me why I should stop running headphones. Why should you run with headphones? Because
0: I can multitask. What are you multitasking on? Podcasts. Would you multitask if you were doing a financial
1: spreadsheet in terms of would you be on the phone to somebody whilst filling in a spreadsheet? No, but that is something like uh, sort of psychologically demanding where i'm doing physical and psychological together it's a lot easier for me to comprehend but you're distracting the focus required
0: from the motor pattern in the skill that comes with improving your efficiency and running over time and in my opinion detaching yourself from the break from the need to be multitasking at all times that will come from running a business where actually just being outside without having your phone on you, without worrying about any external stimuli could be very valuable for your mental health as a decompressor. I instinctively, the first time I had a long run was thinking, can I wear headphones in my event? The answer was no. Therefore I thought, I'm not gonna run with headphones. I'm not gonna run with headphones. And ever since that, I think I've done four runs since then. I use them on treadmill to be fair, but I I very rarely use a treadmill. But that's there's nothing to engage with. But if you're outside, if you're at a track, I I think there's a huge amount of value of really one getting comfortable being in your own head. Because for people to think I'm going to spend two hours without any external stimuli in this day and age is terrifying. Because our attention spans are about three and a half seconds long. So I think I think for zone two stuff at the very least, if you can try without, you will get a lot more from the area in which you live you will come up with thoughts and ideas that you probably wouldn't have got to unless you were in that setting that the podcast
1: might have distracted you from because in this the, in the same breath though it's given me a lot of ideas to go back to yeah. just listen to that podcast so there's like there's given and taken and benefits and disadvantages to both of them there is. It, again yeah. it's always going to come down to depending would running without headphones
0: make you feel uncomfortable if i said you need to do it you need to do you need to run for two hours tomorrow you're not allowed headphones, would you go, oh, that sounds a bit shit?
1: Uh, potentially, because the, like I don't always enjoy doing long runs. So for, for me, it's like it's an extra thing to kind of keep me enjoying the thing. Like when I was doing the long runs for the marathon, I listened to a three-hour podcast and I felt like the run went like that because yeah. I didn't want to do it. There's, I,
0: I think there's a time and a place for that. But I also think there's a time and a place to have to wrestle with the discomfort that comes from not having any external stimuli. Yeah, And I think that there's value. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a complete
1: zealot for I'm, everybody I've needs to run without headphones. I've tried to get headphones. Ben to stop
2: using them because I stopped about five She's months ago. you just
1: pulling no viewership down out of the fucking podcast. I Can't stopped them. To do it.
2: No, I stopped because mine broke. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to have to run without headphones. I've never looked back. I love listening to my feet hit the floor. I'm also running better. I'm faster because I'm not running or being distracted by the music in terms of pace. So if a song would change, you yeah, automatically yeah. go in and then it, it drops back. And then my pace is consistent. My heart rate is consistent. And I I like how sometimes hard it feels when you've got, you've no external voice because I'm that voice now. Yeah, yeah. Like I've got the end, it's like, you've done this before, this is hard, this is fine. So I, I try and I think it helps with like resilience. I have, I have, I did say just try one without, and I think you won't look back. I I don't wear them anymore.
0: No, I I agree. But again, there's a time and a place. And I think podcasts probably like the the big one is if you're doing a list run and you have Slipknot in your ears, you're probably gonna come out of zone two pretty fast. Mm. If you're listening to a podcast, that probably isn't a fair thing to level at you.
1: but sometimes I just like listen to stupid shit as well yeah I so, thought like a guy shit about like some fellow who's been out on the weekends stuck something up his bum and it's got lost and he's <laughs> doing something do you know I like a laugh out loud and stuff it's just not follow, always voice, super voice serious, voice serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 yeah, yeah. So it's, uh, it I th-
0: again it's I think I'd only advocate for you not using headphones if the thought of running without them made you like panic because mm-hmm. there are a lot of people that will drive to a track or drive to go somewhere for their run or leave the house and realize the headphones are out of charge and be like well can't run now yeah. when in reality that 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 is a completely controllable yeah. uh variable
1: I, I did a lot of it during that world car, world record career as well just yeah. long walks without them so i think that's why i'm just not it doesn't phase me i just if i have the option to put something in my ears i'll do it I think, I
0: think if you ever run in a new place or you go to environments that I never you. To listen to anything. Then yeah, yeah, that, 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 that's what I recommend. It's also
2: being a bit aware of your surroundings.
0: You yeah, so. safety I do is a big part. That's the obvious yeah. one. I should, and it's I should a big have thing started. for like women as well yeah. who
2: run on their own. Yeah, I always, even though I did listen, one would play and I wouldn't have something in the other, and that was just me being as a woman running on your own yeah. a little bit more paranoid. Even though I think I'd outrun them or I'd push them in the canal, that's what I hope. You do actually, as a woman on your own, get a little yeah. bit. So I've always had That's one. That's why those bone out.
1: ones are good that we just got. Yeah, talked.
2: they've got some that sit here and yeah, don't yeah, sit yeah, in yeah. your I ears, so you I swimming, I,
0: Again, I, I use them in a swimming pool once because I had a 5K swim and it was just at the end of a long week and I was like, fuck me, I've mm. got a 5K swim in a pool on a Friday. I do not want to do this. That's two and a half hours, best part of it in a pool. Yeah. So I th- I borrowed my mates aftershocks, put them on for one session, got through it, and then because I'd done it when I had a 6K swim the following week, no. It wasn't going up in K's, it was going up in half hours. So it was the three-hour swim yeah. the following week. I just cracked on, and I like because I, I kind of knew what to expect. Yeah. And actually, I got into a bit of a game in my head where every time I wanted to look in look at my watch, I told myself check it in two laps. Yeah. You're gonna, ch- you're gonna you're gonna check your watch this time. You're gonna check your watch. <laughs> psych. <laughs> and, and, and then you're off again. And then sometimes, like I, the one I was swimming in London docks once, and I had a two-hour swim. And I did not look at my watch until one hour, 58, 56. Oh, beautiful. And I was about 400 meters from the pontoon. I was like, fuck, time this wrong. <laughs> but also I was just absolutely blown away by the mm-hmm. fact that I was yeah. like, I reckon that's about, yeah, like I could actually, I could actually pinpoint quite nicely at what point I was at based on the perception of, yeah, like I I, yeah. I could, I became my own clock, <laughs> which is weird. But again, three hour swims aren't commonplace. So some of this
1: might not be relevant. No, exactly. I, did, yeah. I did that with the stairmaster for those three-hour ones, but yeah, I've been just it's good. To... Mr. Fergus Crawley, where can people find more of you, sir? At Fergus Crawley on all
0: social platforms, except Twitter. Not interested. And at Omni Performance from a coaching point of view. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, the Modern Mind podcast as well, which is about to properly relaunch. We've taken an unplanned break due to significant delays in Wi-Fi going to the office (laughs) and significant delays to the podcast studio, but it means we're going to be doing a lot more in-person stuff, which is going to be great. But yeah, at Focus Crawley on Instagram and at focus crawley on youtube main platforms there i'm on TikTok as well if you care i don't personally (laughs) um but i will just put up reels and youtube shorts on there and hope for the best check back every six days or so and then yeah omnia performance on other platforms we've got a lot of stuff going on at the moment and if anyone wants to join us for an in-person event in march 2024 those tickets have just gone live Uh, do we get invites that as well Uh, We've got a couple of PR places, so we'll we'll talk, we'll talk. That'd be exciting. (laughs) We'll talk, but yeah, yeah. it's it's very exciting. We did our first test a few weekends ago and um, very good fun, very good fun. And hybrid training, quote unquote, can be quite lonely. So I think a big thing is we would like to be able to lead the charge in the UK at the very least on really bringing that community together and connecting like-minded people because, yeah, I've isolated myself from a training point of view a lot more than I have done previously training this way. Mm. So I don't wanna I don't want to evangelize for that. I wanna create ways to make that better for people that yeah. are trying to achieve all the things that we've discussed without the egos that raise the barrier to entry too high that prevent people from trying new things.
2: That's lovely. That should be it should be a slogan for your event. I'm yeah. I mean, It'll yeah. be a I'm fucking there. long slogan, slogan Yeah.
0: yeah. Event, yeah the sound bites, the yeah. sound bites. Chop, 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 chop. And yeah. we'll be good to go. Amazing. No,
2: thank you very much. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure as always.
1: Do a you little know spiel at the end.
2: Okay, I thought we were going to do this spiel. For everyone who is listening and watching on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are. Please keep listening, tag us all in your stories when you share it. We appreciate you. We appreciate you leaving reviews because it really does help the podcast. And thank you so much again, Fergus. You were a pleasure to speak to.
0: Thank you very much. Okay. And I should fail five-minute miles more often <laughs> because that's probably the most outspoken on some topics I've been in a while. But again, good good lesson that actually failure can be as enriching as it is ostensibly, quote unquote, failure. So happy days. Like guys